Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Save Your Sanity, help for handling hijackles, those difficult, toxic, and often disturbing people in your life. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler, the Relationship Help Doctor, and I'm here for you. You'll get the insight, skills, strategies, and support to stop tolerating verbal and emotional abuse, whether it's happening now or it happened to you in the past, maybe by a parent, partner, ex, relative, or even a co-worker. Time to take life back, to recover and to rediscover you, your values, dreams, desires, and realize them in healthy ways in healthy relationships. I'm so glad you're here. Dr. Gary Salyer is with us, and we had such a great conversation earlier this year, and I wanted to bring him back and talk to you. And let me just tell you a little bit about Gary. He's a Master Transformational Relationship Coach. Don't you love that? Master Transformational Relationship Coach, and he helps people write the rules for love into their brains. <laughs> so he's a that you're gonna get it expert i guess you're going to understand he speaks to a national audience as an expert for the great love debate and various celebrity tv and radio shows and he's the creator of a new book called safe to love again doesn't that just warm your heart to know that there's a book that tells you how to be safe to love again i really love that and how to release the pain of past relationships and create the love you deserve. So welcome back to the program, Gary. Thank you, Roberta. And it's so good being back here. It really is. A, it's so great being with somebody who is a kindred spirit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that that's the fun of it. And watch out because Gary and I are going to create some video series that are going to help you get the results in life that you want and put a big smile on your face too. So today I wanted to talk to one of Gary's specialties, which is talking about attachment. And, you know, we have, there's a lot of talk about attachment in our world, particularly in the East-West debate. But it means something special when we're talking about psychology, when we're talking about how people are formed and developed and work. So Gary, what would you say is a quick definition of attachment to introduce this to people who may not have heard it that way before? You know, uh, basically attachment, it's, it's part of what, what separates us from like reptiles. Reptiles, turtles give thousands of babies and they just let them go off. In fact, the mother can sometimes eat their babies and though no human brain a mother ever says, oh, I'm giving birth, it's snack time. <laughs> like a turtle does, right? No, you won't see that so often. Attachment is where the mammal brain in us all says, I need a bond. The moment we had less children, and mammals do because... You know, everything happens inside and you can't have 10,000 turtles that way. At least I don't think very many human mothers want that many at one time. Uh, basically, it's that warm, cozy feeling that I am bonded. There is a weeness around us and I get to belong. I am protected. I am safe. I am welcomed. I am seen and I'm cared for. That's what an attachment is. Don't you just hear those words enveloping you? I think every one of us can resonate with that, that I want that. I want that cozy feeling of being enveloped in a safe place with a safe person who has my best interest at heart. And when I'm little, 
I know that they will protect me and I can count on them for that and I can count on them to guide me. And that is just primary to having a healthy way of thinking about yourself in the world. So what happens, Gary, when you don't get that when you're little? Well, if you don't get that, what you get is, if you get that, you get what's called a secure attachment. That means you're comfortable giving and receiving love. But if you don't, then you usually go one of two ways. There's a third one. Uh, you can, there's most people go, uh, they may go anxious and that's where they get part of a bond and it goes away and it comes and it goes and there's some sort of intermittent bond, but not always there. And they're going to try to fight and lock down love. So those become your anxious. Those are the ones that will might be saying to you. So it took you 10 minutes to, to answer your text or, or where were you last night? The other ones, if they get almost no bond at all, uh, then they become avoidance. They have a flight response. They're the ones that, that are not the ones who will commit to you. They're afraid of when do I get in a committed relationship and how soon do I get out? Uh, so they're the ones that are afraid of that emotional connection and the words partners say is they don't feel present to me or I can't depend on them. Mm-hmm. There's also your favorite group. Uh, there's the, the ones that disorganized. And these are the babies that got really hammered, and they don't know whether to seek a bond or not, and they often become uh, hijackers, as you would call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's only about 5% of the population that go into uh, truly disorganized. Most, and, uh, most babies, uh, 50% are secure, 25% are avoidant, and uh, well, 25% are anxious, I should say, and 20% are anxious. So that's the statistics on that. Okay. So avoidance are disorganized. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, 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 uh, no. Avoidance are not disorganized. Did no. I say that wrongly? Yes. Well, well, we got a little muddled up in the in the numbers here. You said fifty percent are secure, twenty five percent are anxious, twenty percent are avoidance. Does that leave us with five percent disorganized? Oh, uh, no, twenty percent are avoidant. Twenty percent are avoidant. Okay. And then about 5% are disorganized. All right, got it. All right, so, so, there's, the, so there's, there's four kinds of attachment. Can we, can we cut this part out? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, sure. <laughs> um, yeah. let but, me. All right, let me, let me just put a marker in here. Okay. Okay, so uh, let's go back. Okay. Okay, I really like your definition of attachment. Love the idea. But what happens when we don't get it? What What is likely to happen to us as a result is we grow older if we didn't get that wonderful, secure attachment that you were talking about. Well, if you get some of the bond, but then not enough of it. So um, mom or dad bonds with you, but they're inconsistent. Maybe they're there and they're not there uh, for a variety of reasons. Then some part says, I'm going to lock this thing down. And then you become anxious. And you have what's called a fight response. And so at that point, uh, your, your, your anxiety uh, goes up. And some part of you is always looking for when does love go away. So you're trying to make sure it stays. So you later on, they grow up and they're the sort of people that say things like, so uh, where were you last night? Or why didn't you text back? Uh, I texted you 10 minutes ago. You have the anxious. The other ones are uh, the avoidance. And these are the ones that hardly got any response at all. They did not get a bond. 
And so their brain says, okay, relationships are way too painful. I'm going to avoid them. They're the ones that they don't feel comfortable being in a committed relationship. They tend to be the Marlboro mate, so to speak. Uh, and if you do get in a relationship, they can get married, but they never seem to be present. They always seem to be going away. Uh, mm -hmm. Those are the two usual ways that if you don't get a secure attachment, you get either anxious or avoid. Okay, and then there are my favorites, right? That's right. Then there's a little subsection of my favorites. What do you call them? Well, if babies are really, really hammered, and they don't know, they actually have a, a, a drive that goes toward and away all at the same time, it kind of splits their brain, and they become what's called disorganized attachment. They don't know whether they're coming or going with love, so to speak. Uh, and that's about 5% of the babies that do that. And a lot of times they become what you call hijackles. Right. Uh, yes. Yeah. And you know, I, why I say they're my favorites is not because I just love to be around them. It's because I like to help the partners and the exes and the adult children of them understand yes. what happened and what's going on within them that allows them to be attracted to and attracted attractive to a hijackal and then be able to step away from that. And one of the reasons that I love this conversation and why it's so important for us to have it is that we have to understand that there are things at work that are subconscious and unconscious in us. And when we've had a lack of secure attachment when we're young, it has an impact just as a secure attachment does. And so we can't do anything about a partner who is a hijackal who comes from a disorganized attachment. That's not our job. We can't fix it. But we can understand within ourselves what might have happened to us to make us comfortably uncomfortable with that way of being in relationship and why that push me, pull me, you know, um, you push me away and demand that I stay. That's the subtitle of one of my books. You know, that yes. you just, it's this, like all the time, come closer, go away. And, and you want to understand that. And then to really get it. Like I was uh, writing back and forth to a person just this week who said, you know, I think this is going on because I have a thing at passiveaggressivechecklist.com where you can take a free checklist. And she took it and she said, this seems to be going on. And then she gave me a little narrative and I said, Oh no, you have to go and read my free ebook, how to spot a hijackal. Yeah. All hijackals are passive aggressive. Not all passive aggressives are hijackals. You are describing someone who has definitely gone over to the hijackal side. Yes. Um, so that, that ability to understand and tell us a little bit about what's, what do you think's going on in a home where we're getting negative attachment what, what would, how would you recognize that home? If you look back on your early life and you say, oh, what would have happened in my home if negative attachment was occurring? Well, if there's negative attachment, you're, you're going to always be a little bit honest. For me, I, I grew up with a borderline mother and the air raid sirens were never, or were never far away. <laughs> I think my had my hand on it all the time. Uh, you're always wondering when it's going to go down. Uh, uh, and, and you know it is. It's just a matter of when. Uh, you never feel like you're welcomed. Mm -hmm. That can be one of them. Yeah. Not welcomed with joy, which is one of the, the feelings we feel. 
uh, a lot of times you you feel like you you feel like you belong maybe too much they or they're intrusive they're always in your face and you they never allow you to be a me sometimes there's no there's no right to belong you, you you don't get too much you get no right and they're always pushing you away you feel like nobody has your back you're on your own forever uh, these are some of the things and disempowered abuse disempowering abuse is a huge one whether it's they're always second-guessing you and criticizing you or knocking you against walls, there's always some sort of disempowering abuse. So if you don't feel welcomed, extremely so, uh, you're not getting your needs met. They're always about themselves uh, or they just don't care. And there's no real right to be in that cozy, warm place I talked about, that cozy we. The, the we is, if you think about being in that relationship with them, it's a place where you'd rather be away. If you would rather be away, if you need distance for whatever reason, you know you're in a, that's an abusive relationship. Oh, yeah. You know, if, if you're hearing something right here in what Dr. Gary Salyer just said, <laughs> if you go, oh, that was my house, make sure you go to his website, GarySalyer.com, G-A-R-Y-S-A-L-Y-E-R.com, because this is really important stuff. If, it, it, if you didn't have secure bonding in your life, you're going to have some rough and fraying edges out there. You're going to have some pieces that are kind of like, am I okay? And you're going to have some pieces that are stay away, right? And you're not going to really understand where they came from. And that's my hope today that you begin to see that you came by this honestly. You didn't ask for it, but it was put in your basket. <laughs> and then it's kind of like a virus that's in a computer program that's set to go off at particular times. And one of those particular times is when we try our very best. We think we're doing our very best to be in a great relationship and there's something preventing it. And it may be coming from within us or from the person who has chosen us or we have chosen them. And that's all about attachment. And I really want to get into it even further today. So GarySalyer.com, go there. Um, When we think about those homes that you were describing, you know, I'll give you a really prime example. My mother used to say to me at least once or twice a month, I never wanted children, you know. Hmm. Your father made me. Yeah. Now, if you had that in your background, you know, as Gary said, he had a borderline mother. Well, I had a complete hijackal mother, and I won't put a clinical label on her because it would be too long. But <laughs> if if you had that, your mother or your father or whoever was primary to you, maybe you had a nasty grandma or grandpa or somebody. Um, I had one of those too. <laughs> they um they they want to reject you because they have to win. They have to be the primary person. So they're primary. You therefore either have to be secondary or seen and not heard or preferably emotionally go away. Right. And that's a problem that you can't solve when you're little. Right, Gary? No, no, you can't. You cannot because, you know, the four-year-old always says, I want to, I want to, there's a four-year-old savior in all of us. Every four-year-old on the planet is saying, I want to make it better. I want to take away the pain. I don't know any four-year-olds that don't have that. Humans seem in, unable to be able to do that. But the problem is, if you can just imagine a little four-year-old standing in front of you saying, it's my job to save you, it's rather above their pay grade. 
so much. Yeah. You know, and even and then we carry that even later on. And one of the defining things in uh, uh, an abusive family is it takes away your ability to have what you want in life, to assert and create your own experience, to have your wins in life. Uh, it can, like for instance, my my junior in high school, uh, my mom got me uh, two ties. For, and we opened things up on Christmas Eve. And so she goes, well, you can wear one of those. So I was going to a church meeting with a youth group, and I went up and put on a tie. And when I came back down, she goes, see, that just shows how hard you are to buy, to buy for. You didn't like the other tie. Oh! <laughs> now, Prime. I, looked, I looked at her, I said, you want me to wear both ties? At the same time. Just listen to that, folks, because that is a prime, prime example of how the hijackal has to win. Yes. Right? So if you had a parent who put you in this situation or someone in authority in your young life who put you in this situation, you have been programmed. And that's what we're talking about today. The good news is that you can do the work and you can leave it behind. But if you don't know it, That's the job of today's show, is to help you recognize, I came from that house. I came from that woman or man. That happened to me, and I now see it, and I want to move on from it. And that, that becomes absolutely prime for us to be able to move on. And there is hope for that, isn't there, Gary? Oh, there, there is, there is. We don't have to, you, you know, we don't have to do just trauma bonding. But the big thing that happens in that was you get this, every time there's that type of abuse, there was always the hope for the brain splits the parent into two parents. There's the really good devil angel, uh, you know, devil, uh, I, actually the good angel, I should say, who is there in hope that one day she'll show up and she'll actually repent and she'll be a beautiful, loving mother like you see in the good housekeeping uh, section of uh, CVS, right? <laughs> you know, or your best friend's mother who was always there, you know, making hamburger helper after school, right? On the other hand, there's the other one is the bad devil, and we split them. And the real issue for this becomes love, secure love, is now put into the future. And what we bond to is what I call a hope structure. We inevitably, because of that Savior, we will pick somebody who has both the the angel and the devil, the good and the bad, so we can save the devil and one day have the good one. And it's learning that love is about having, not hoping. And we cannot be the Savior. And the real key here is to train your brain to stop splitting uh, the idea of love into good that you can only have in the future and and uh, this devil one because what it does it sets people up for relationships with an endless cycle of working their tails off in a relationship that can go nowhere and they can never have love they're always hoping for it and they're always trying to fix them they're always waiting for the day love shows up they're always trying to make sure that's the essence of what happens when we get in these places. In other words, you can't have your win. You can't assert and create your own experience now. It's learning to put future love into the present and taking out that bad and saying, I can say no to that because no hijackle allows you to say no. Trust me on that one. They won't. There's no such thing as no for a hijackle. Right. You can say Except no. Except if they say it. Yes, they do. <laughs> 
that's the real key to trauma bonding is to stop being addicted to saving that which you cannot save and to stop hoping for that which you deserve now. Beautifully said, Gary. I love that because, well, for for more than one reason, but the... I write a lot about our being hooked on hope that the good person that we fell in love with is going to return. And that's what you're talking about is that we just get into that. But if I'm good enough, quiet enough, patient enough, compassionate enough, nourishing enough, I don't nag, I don't demand, I don't do that. Then the good angel will return. (laughs) And so they're connected to our past that says, I can please, I can put myself into a pretzel and a doormat in some form that will cause the good angel to return as a steady partner. So there's so much more to talk about. Stay tuned for part two with my guest, Dr. Gary Salyer. And remember to go to GarySalyer.com, G-A-R-Y-S-A-L-Y-E-R.com. And for further information, go to ForRelationshipHelp.com. Be right back. I'm here with my guest, Dr. Gary Salyer. This is part two of our great conversation on attachment, and he is an expert in this area. And I hope that you are beginning to recognize some of the things that may have happened to you or people close to you so that we can better understand and make changes that make sense. So we were talking before the break, Gary, about your comment. You said, love is about having, not hoping. And I ended part one by saying that I write often about being hooked on hope. So how do we get to that place where there is enough balance to get healthy in this situation? Well, that's a good question. The first thing is you have to realize, you have to realize you have a right to actually have love. You know, the, the wedding vows, you'll never see the wedding vows say, to hope to hold. It's just to have and to hold. That's what it is. And if you're always hoping, it really does what it means is giving yourself. We, when we have had a hijackal or we've had an abusive relationship, there's always that part that puts it off as a layaway plant. And I think mm-hmm. what happens early, the, the brain does something really wise and a little bit tragic at the same time. It creates a layaway plan called hope because the only way it can protect the right to love, is to put it in that layaway plan. Now, layaway plans are meant to one day have Christmas. And the problem with abusive relationships is kind of like that that line in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where where it was never never winter and it was never Christmas and always winter. There comes a time when it's okay, at least the layaway plans I remember as a kid, there was a time you actually collected on that. (laughs) Yeah, when the debt was paid and you could actually go get it. That's right. And that's an interesting phrase because a lot of times we are trying to pay off their debts. Dear mom, dear dad, I'll make it right for you. I'll pay that debt for you. And the real key is to realize that their pain was never your business. It was never your business. You have to, I actually lead some of my people through an exercise where they stand before the imaginary parents and they say, this is the pain you gave me, but this pain was never my business. This is your business. Please look kindly upon me when I can have my love now. 
Uh, you have to give that pain back because it's not yours. It's above your pay grade. Yeah. And, you know, I think of an interesting piece that we should put in here because I, I, I think often of forgiveness, Gary. And yes. I think, you know, certainly we've heard the trite phrase, forgiveness is about us, not about them and all of that. But it's more than that. And what I tell my folks, and I'm sure you do too, because we're so aligned, but is let's not, we're not in the blame game here. We're not going in the past to find out who's to blame for why my life isn't working. We're here to go and say, oh, there were these facts and they created these possibilities. And from these possibilities, I now get to choose how I'd like to move forward. Yes. And I'm not going to go back and build a condo and live in the past, hopefully. I don't want people to tell their story over and over and be rewounded every time at the cellular level. Let's just talk about the way it was, validate the feelings and the facts, decide what we'd like to move forward toward and do it from the frame of maybe I got this wrong message and I choose this new one. What do you think of that? I like that one. I like that because we, we did get a wrong message and there, and, and for, I look at forgiveness as almost like a court case in our brain, right? Me, me too. <laughs> and I talk about it. Uh, I have a thing that I call drop, dropping the charges and what, and, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, it came from a long time ago when us, uh, uh, I actually was dealing with this in my own therapy. And I said to the therapist, you know, some of the stuff I felt about my mother, she goes, you need to have to forgive him. Forgive her. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, I said, you mean I have to let her off the hook? <laughs> and what they said to me was, no, Gary, you have to let your life off the hook. Right. Because when you're not forgiving and you're running what I call a grievance, it's like you have an imaginary court case. And what the little one says is, you want to hurt me? You want to abuse me? Well, I'll sh- well, you know, I'll show you abuse. I will continue picking wrong people and I will continue to get love in the same poor ways as you gave me. And I'm going to amass so much evidence from the rest of my life <laughs> yeah. that I will prove you wrong. And when I prove you wrong, you'll be sorry. And when you're sorry, you'll love me. Of course, the latter part never happens, but we spend the rest of our life amassing evidence to prove our parents wrong 20, 30, 40 years ago. So if you don't drop the charges, what you have to realize is winning this court case is like these corporate cases where they settle because you can't win with the, with the ensuing legal costs. It's not worth the rest of your life to not forgive them is what it really comes down to. Well, I, I so agree with you. And I, I don't take that lightly in any form. No. You know, I, I have done a lot. For those people who don't know, I used to be a minister. So I have worked in this area for a long time. And forgiveness is not something that is mouthworthy. You know, like, okay, I forgive you. Mm-hmm. It is something that can't sit above your nose. It has to get down to your toes. It has to be complete. It does. And 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 it has to, and I like what you say about dropping the charges. In the new book that I'm writing, Stop Tolerating Abuse, I talk about the inner courtroom mm-hmm. and how that inner courtroom is always running and how you have to modify it. You have to have to change the way the inner courtroom runs. And <clears throat> so 
for people who are just recognizing that this has happened and is happening perhaps now because they've recreated the relationship, as you say, they were trying to prove it. I also have a piece that I want to add to that, which is that when we've been badly wounded by some of these lack of attachments or, or these avoidant or disorganized or anxious attachments, um, we are kind of hardwired at that point to only know who we are when we're dealing with danger. Yes. And when we only know who we are when we're dealing with danger, we never have joy. That's exactly right. Because we can't allow ourselves to have joy because what if I stop being vigilant, right? What do I do? So there's a connection between these two things to be able to be present in the moment, to close the book on the blame and to shut down the inner courtroom for a while and be fully present. And for many people, they can't do that. What hints would you have for them? To be fully present? Yeah. You know, the thing is, to be fully present, you have to have a, you have to give yourself a real right to exist. And and in the book, I talk about your embodied self. When you are running these, these fear paths, step into your body, your body. If you really feel in your body, I'll bet you'll feel a scared four-year-old. Now, how many of us would take a scared four-year-old and not just say, come on, honey, let's just calm down and take them out and just hug them and allow them to relax. Uh, Think of your body as the four-year-old that's always there with you. Uh, Would you do that to them? Always tell them to be uh, on, on edge? No. What you want to do is give them some milk and cookies. So being in the present is like giving your body milk and cookies. You know, uh, be nice to yourself. It's it's you know there's no price tag, there's no court case worth what it will cost your body. And your body is not just your taxi in life. It's you. Mm, beautiful. I I love the metaphoric way that you talk about things, Gary. It's so clear. And remember, folks, if you want to talk learn more about Gary, go to GarySalyer.com, G-A-R-Y-S-A-L-Y-E-R. You'll see it in the notes. Um, but letting people off the hook. Okay, so it just made this connection. I hadn't thought about it before, but this hooked on hope and then letting people off the hook are kind of joined because if we stop being hooked on how it's supposed to be, and if I'm only a better person, it will be like that. And then I, I let myself off the hook too, to say, no, it's okay when it sucks sometimes too, (laughs) you know, it's just reality. I'm not in pursuit of perfection Yes. because that gets hooked in there too, that if I'm only better than I possibly could be, and I'm hooked on the pursuit of perfection, which is what a hijackal, believes is the only necessary thing so they can constantly win they will always find you wrong just like your story in part in part one you know about the two ties like it's like the parent who looks at your grades and you got all a's and one b plus and it says what happened you know what happened to the b plus you can never actually externalize that in your own life until you look at that and say that was unkind that was uncalled for that had nothing to do with who I am. It has everything to do who the speaker is. And unhook that to allow ourselves to be in the present and get here and say, what do I think? What do I feel? And what direction am I wanting to go? Yeah. You know, for my own mother, I think the turning point in my life was, you know, it was like, why did you always abandon me? Uh, 
I mean, my mother didn't name me for three weeks after I was born. Oh, I was so oh. disappointed. And the state troopers had to say, you'll name me or we'll put you in jail. Now, so there was always a lot of abandonment. My grandmother filled in for her. Thank God that yeah, I think that's, she saved my attachment. She really did. Yeah, I had a godmother who did yes. the same thing. Yeah. At one point, uh, I realized my mother was mentally ill. Mm-hmm. What was left of the same mother had to abandon me lest she kill me. And I realized that what was left of the real mother and my, and my mother took the best deal possible and abandoned me lest her mentally ill side destroy me. At that point, I realized my mother gave me all the love she could. Beautiful. And I stopped blaming her. I stepped into the side of her that said, I'm sorry I'm mentally ill. I'll abandon you because if I don't, I'm going to abuse you and you won't make it through life. Yeah. And I, you know, and then I, and then I realized she did as good as she could and she gotten beat with razor blades, uh, not razor, but razor straps. And at some point I stopped uh, making sure uh, it was about my pity party. It was about having rapport and compassion with something bigger than me. And once I stepped into that bigger frame, it doesn't mean that I thought the two tie instruments were being beat when I was a child were actually any fun. But I was got to the place where I could say, you consent to it. Consent isn't saying you're thinking, oh, this is really great. You simply, that's the way it was. But, and this is the way it can be. And it's worth the person I can step into if I can simply let that go. Not so much without judgment, but just saying that's what it was. And how else could it be? Yeah, beautifully said, as usual, Gary. The the thing about it is that we, you know, we started this conversation in part one and continued it about attachment. Mm-hmm. And what we're discussing right now is letting go to the attachment that it was possible for us to have a relationship with the mother who was mentally ill and who in, it was personality disordered in, in my case, for sure. And to say, all right, you know, she did the best she could. If she'd known better, she would have done better, I like to think. Um, That's all she had to give, and she gave it. Some of it I have to give back because I don't want it. There was very little good there except that she gave me my life, and now it's my choice what I do with it. You know, and it's a whole other conversation. We'll have it another day about where was dad and all this. But, you know, I hope that our conversation today has brought some light to what happened to you. It's not your fault. It had nothing to do with you. But what has to do with you is what you do with it from today forward. What would you say about that, Gary? Oh, I, I absolutely see that. Uh, you know, when I look back at all the relationship pain that I caused in two divorces because I wouldn't give up the grievance, it wasn't worth it. The day I stepped into this new frame that we're talking about was the day I got to be me. I got to step into my greatest self. And I got to be something that's even better. I got to be of service to everybody else. And that's the sort of life I would rather live that life of gratitude than a life of grievance any day of the week. That's, that's what you get. You get the right to create your own experience, not repeat the past experience. It's, a, it's, it's, it's life's golden ticket. It really is. 
I love that. Live a life of gratitude, not grievance. I'm not saying that lightly. Neither is Gary. I know you're not. Uh, It's not like some of those lovely platitudes and that says now you don't have to do your work. You do. You have to do the work. Yeah, You don't do the work. It's called denial. You know, like I'm just going to go on from here and pretend I'm not wounded and I don't need some help. But we do want to live a life that's based in gratitude and not grievance. And there's so much richness in these conversations. Thank you so much for being part of it again, Gary. And I look forward to future conversations. Well, thank you for having me here. It's great to be with you. I love your spirit and to be of service to your wonderful people. Thank you. My guest today is Dr. Gary Salyer. Find him at Gary, G-A-R-Y, Salyer, S-A-L-Y-E-R.com. Look for his upcoming book, Safe to Love Again. All the things that we're talking about today will be in there and more. Watch also for the video series we're going to create because this is a topic that you really need to understand. So until we talk again, go to fourrelationshiphelp.com. Sign up for weekly tips for relationships and stay tuned because we always have people who are going to help you have the best life possible. Talk soon. I'm so glad you spent this time with me today. I hope you heard something that touched your heart and empowered you to move forward. You can have the life and relationships that you most want, and that begins with you within you today. I'm always here for you. Life can get better, and you heard that from me, the Relationship Help Doctor. I'm Roberta Shaler, and I work with clients throughout the world through video conferencing. We can talk. So learn more at 4RelationshipHelp.com, F-O-R, Relationship, H-E-L-P.com, or visit me on YouTube at 4 Relationship Help. Join me for next week's show.